Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Can someone please give me a sound check? Please. Okay, can you all hear me? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, you can hear me, or Alhamdulillah, as in. Okay, Jazakallah khair. طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so welcome to I think it is lesson nine of this year QP year three lesson nine and inshallah تعالى today we will start with the تفسير of سورة القدر so تفسير of سورة القدر so um, but before we go on to that we have a couple of um, a couple of research questions that I that I want to go through very quickly. Um, but last week we concluded with the tafsir of Surah, Surah Al-Bayyinah And we discussed the last three surahs and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala As he often does in the Quran when he mentions the, the state or the dichotomy Or the, you know, the, two, um, the two opposing groups of the believers and the disbelievers Allah Azza wa Jal often in the Quran will then mention the reward and respective punishments of those groups as well And Surah Al-Bayyinah is a good example of this How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the mushrikeen and the Ahlul Kitab at the beginning together then Allah Azza wa Jal focuses on the Ahlul Kitab and then we said towards end Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then addresses all of them again, all the mushrikeen including the Ahlul Kitab. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ And Allah Azza wa Jal groups them together again because in the end the consequence of their actions and their beliefs will be the same. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala groups them together again in terms of mentioning that punishment and Allah Azza wa Jal then mentions that they will be punished in the fire and they will remain therein forever. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala juxtaposes that with the, with the reward of those who believe and do righteous deeds. In the next verse, in the following verse, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And we said that one of, the, uh, you know, one of the, 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 the ways in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows from the eloquence of the Qur'an, the beauty of their reward, the magnanimity of what Allah Azza wa Jalla has prepared for them, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the disbelievers gives them a single verse in which he mentions their, not only their punishment, but that the end result of them is that they are from the worst of creation. They are the worst of all people, all of Allah's creation. And then when it comes to the believers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instead, He gives them two verses. Allah azza wa firstly establishes their position and their station. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the final verse mentions their reward and what Allah azza wa has prepared for them from the blessings and the delights of Jannah. And so Allah Azza wa says those who believe and those who do righteous deeds that they were from the best of creation. Then Allah Azza wa goes on to mention their reward. And that is the station that Allah Azza wa has prepared for them from the reward of paradise with the gardens and the rivers flowing beneath them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says They are pleased with Allah and Allah is pleased with them. That is for the one who fears the standing before his Lord. So the two questions that we had last week then in relation to that, the first of them is, and Salaam Jazakallah Khair very kindly has posted them for us again as a reminder. Um, I don't know, I didn't get a chance to check the Telegram group. I don't know if they were posted on there as well, but it would be nice, I think, if they weren't just to keep them posted on there throughout the week so that people have something written there as well. They can refer back to inshallah, and then we can use that inshallah as, uh, as well. As we come, so the first, um, the first research question that I had 
for you, or there were two. The first of them is this statement, radiyallahu anhum wa radwa'an, right? We say this when it's mentioned, when we mention the companions, we say radiyallahu an, radiyallahu anha, radiyallahu anhum. And then when it comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we know that when his name is mentioned, we send salat and salam upon him alayhi salatu wasalam. And then when it comes to the other Prophets of Allah, Adam, Ibrahim, Musa, Isa, Sulaiman, Dawood, Ayyub, whichever of the other Prophets of Allah, it is good practice and good etiquette to say after mentioning them, alayhi salam. And the question that I had for you is clearly, these are there is an asl or there is an origin that we take from the Quran and the Sunnah that we base this upon. And what is that origin from the Quran for these particular invocations, for these particular duas that we make? So when it comes to, for example, the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, we have this verse, right? This last verse of Surah al bayna Allah azza wa says, "Radiyallahu anhum an. Allah is pleased with them; they are pleased with Him. And this primarily refers to; it will refer to all of the believers, but primarily it refers to uh, to the companions, "Radiyallahu anhum ajma'in." And so we often say, "Radiyallahu an." May Allah be pleased with them, and that is an invocation for them. Uh, it is a dua that we make for them. So the question was, if that's the verse of the Quran that establishes that particular dua or etiquette when mentioning the name of the companions, then what about the others, or what about the the, the verses for Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Alayhi Salam? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Alayhi Salam. So, okay. So if there's anyone else that has anything as well, please feel um, feel free to share that now. So Masarat saying for Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we have the verses in Surah Al-Hazab, Inna Allaha wa Malaikatahu yusalluna ala al-Nabi, Ya ayuhal ladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. Indeed Allah and His messengers, Allah and His angels rather, send salutations upon the Prophet, or you who believe, send salat and salam upon him. And that is obviously something which we know, right? Which we know uh, is, is something which is extremely important right so when the name of the prophet وسلم, is mentioned even if you're not necessarily in, in 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 the presence of the sheikh like even now when we're saying the name of the prophet وسلم, each one of us should be saying and we all know the famous hadith of how the prophet وسلم, described the one who doesn't get send salat and salam upon him when his name is mentioned as being stingy and miserly and how the Prophet وسلم, the hadith of Jibreel السلام, when he's standing on the steps of the minbar saying Ameen to the du'as of Jibreel السلام, and one of those du'as is if your name is mentioned in front of someone and they don't say Salat and Salam upon you then may they be distanced or may, they, may their nose be rubbed in dust or sand and the Prophet وسلم, said Ameen to that du'a uh, an interesting point here is you know, just like going again on a slight tangent but one of the, you know, like one a famous thing that the scholars often have if you read their books, especially like the scholars who are known, for example, as scholars of fiqh, or scholars of tafsir, or scholars of aqidah, or scholars of hadith, they often speak about what is the best science, right? What is the ashraf or the most noble of the sciences of Islam to study? And no doubt there is nobility in all of them, right? In the end of the day, there is nobility in all of them. But they often have this like theoretic discussion as to is it better to be you know, a, an expert in tafsir because it's about the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as we know the Quran has its place and its station or is it the science of aqidah or the knowledge of aqidah because aqidah is about Allah himself and what greater knowledge is there than to learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or is it fiqh because that's your practical way that you come closer to Allah it's your worship, it's your halal, it's your haram and our whole life is based upon our halal and haram and and obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or is it, for example, hadith? 
because it's about the Prophet وسلم, and everything that he did and he said and, and obviously a great majority of our religion or a great chunk of our religion is taken from that source. And so you have like these discussions. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi in his, in his book when he speaks about the sharaf of Ashab al-Hadith which is the, the noble status of the people of Hadith and the scholars of Hadith. He says that one of the things that makes the people of Hadith and the scholars of Hadith from amongst the greatest of all is the fact that they are the ones who most send salat and salam upon the Prophet Because at the very least, every single hadith once, most likely, unless it's just a generation of a companion who's speaking for himself, but generally in a hadith, at least very at the minimum, once you will mention the name And often it is the case that the name of the Prophet occurs multiple times in a particular narration. And so just that, just to, and just the hadith of whoever sends salat and salat and salam upon the Prophet sallallahu once, sallallahu alayhi biha ashra, Allah will send salat and salam upon them ten times in return. Just that in itself. And then you're doing that multiple times and that's one of the reasons why the scholars have and continue to have what they call the hadith readings, right? Where you sit, just like kind of what we did with Tafsir Jalalain, where you read the whole of the Tafsir in, in a short number of days, they used to do the same with you know Bukhari and Muslim and the other books and works of Hadith, no matter how long or short they may be. And because you're constantly, even if you take nothing away from that, other than the fact that you're reading a Hadith and saying Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam every time his name is mentioned, that in itself is a great deal of reward. Right? It is a great amount of reward to be attained, just like the person who sits and reads Quran, for them, every word that they read is 10 rewards. That is a great deal of reward just in simple recitation of the Qur'an. And so, um, you know, that's that's interesting because the Qur'an gives you that reward just by simply reading. And the hadith does something similar, uh, although slightly different, but that is by mentioning the name of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, um, you know, that's something which, which I think is interesting anyways, as just as a side point for those of you that are interested in that kind of stuff. So that's that's good for Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Alayhi Salam, like you said, you find it in a number of uh, number of places. I think the most apparent of them is what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala mentions uh, in Surah Safat, I believe it is. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Where He mentions the different stories of the prophets, and then Allah Azza wa Jal will say, "Salamun ala Nuhin fil Alamin, Salamun ala Ilyasin, Salamun ala Musa wa Harun, Salamun ala Ibrahim." And he's giving salams upon all of those prophets to show that it is something which is done after a number of the prophets that are mentioned within that single surah. That is, I think, a better evidence, uh, even though the ones that are mentioned by, by Musarrat has, uh, you know, has, uh, are good as well. They, they are perfectly fine. Um, but uh, the last one that you mentioned was salamu ala man al huda is a general verse. Right? It's a general verse. Uh, and that is a general verse that you would rather use for assalamu alaikum when we say salam to one another because for all of the people that accept the guidance that is a salam that you give but the salam that we're speaking about is a dua that is given for the prophets which is slightly different and that salam is taken from these verses that you mentioned before from the story for example of Isa alayhi salam the story of Yahya alayhi salam uh, in the two verses in surah Maryam or I think a better evidence generally for that is those verses in Surah Safat after every mention of a prophet and his story, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then say, and then mention the name of those prophets. Okay. So, uh, Solange, is this greeting used for angels because they too 
ask as messengers? Yeah, that seems to be what is apparent that they too have the position of being uh, messengers of Allah in their own way. Uh, and because of that, they too have that particular invocation. And Allah knows best. So that was the first question we asked. The second question that we asked, if I just uh, scroll down to where it was. Uh, yes, concerning the meaning of the word Adn, right? So in the final verse, Allah of Surah Bayyana, Allah says, Jazaahum inda Rabbihim Jannatu Adn. And this is a common description of Jannah given throughout the, the Quran. It is often described as Jannatu Adn. Right? And the question therefore was, what is the meaning of Adn? What is the meaning of Adn? And so there are some that you would find in the translation that we did. I don't think we, we necessarily went through this last week because I wanted to give this as a research question. Um, but it's something which I, um, you know, which I would, which I wanted people to look into. Okay, so, yeah, so you can start sending in your answers. Uh, Hasiya, I hope that I've said that correctly, your name. Uh, the word Adan is the central and best part of a place. And that is the position, uh, she says, Imam Razi and Qurtubi, alayhi ma rahmatullah. And that is one of the, um, one of the opinions of the meaning of the word Adan. And it's famously attributed as being the statement of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu. And it seems that Imam Qurtubi and others took it from him. That he said that the meaning of the Adan is that it is in the middle of something. It is in the middle of Jannah. It is the name of the garden in the middle of Jannah. And we know that the garden, that that, uh, that, that is the description that the Prophet also gave for Al-Firdaus. فَإِنَّهُ أَعْلَى الْجَنَّةِ وَأَوْسَطُ الْجَنَّةِ he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that Al-Firdaus is in the highest part of Jannah, in the middle of Jannah. And so therefore, um, it seems that that may be the case that he's referring to Jannah to Adan being a type of Firdaus, something similar to Firdaus. Um, but that seems to be his statement, radiallahu an. So that's one opinion, yes. Anyone else? No one else did this one? I, there are a number of opinions. It's not just one or two. There's a good like six, seven, eight different opinions at least, or different statements and views amongst the you know, descriptions of what the, the exact meaning of the word Adan is referring to. So the most common of them, uh, and the one that's like often used now, especially and the one that many of the scholars settled on, is that the word Adan means something which is permanent. It is an eternal, everlasting abode. Right, and that's what you find with uh, Imam al-Tabari, for example, I think Abdullah bin Abbas, radiyallahu anhum, ibn Kathir. Many of the scholars, when they speak about the word Adan, they say that it refers to something which is eternal, something which is permanent, something which is everlasting. That's what they refer to as the word Adan. And Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he, in his tafsir, he says, because the Arabic meaning of the word Adan, the, the origin, the root word of the word Adan, is when you stay somewhere and you abide therein forever, like you settle somewhere permanently. In Arabic, it is called Adana Fulanun bi ardi kada. If someone is called Adan, so and so has Adan in a certain place, the Adan in that context means that they've settled their permanent, means that they have no intention to move from there, somewhere, somewhere that they've settled for life. And that's what they refer to. And so he said that that is the Arabic word, and therefore the meaning of Adan in, 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 in the context of Jannah also is eternity. So that's like the one that's most common. But there are a number of others. So um, the one that Hasiya mentioned, the statement of Ibn Mas'ud is a famous one. Um, for example, the statement of Ka'b is that it refers to a, uh, the gardens of grapes. The gardens of grapes and fruits. That's what he said the word Adan means. It refers to the gardens of grapes and fruits. And Hassan Basri rahimahullah ta'ala said the word Adan refers to a palace in Jannah. It's the name of a palace in Jannah. It is called Adan. 
that's his position. And Al-Dahaq said that it is a, a city or a place in Jannah, or a garden in Jannah, a specific place in Jannah. And Ata'a Ta'ala said that it's a name from the names of the rivers of Jannah. And so these are the different statements that you will find. Um, and if you went to, for example, Tafsir Al-Tabari or any of those classical Tafsir, I think Qurtubi probably mentions them as well. Um, you would have found a number of those opinions uh, mentioned from amongst the earliest scholars. However, I mean, they are all similar in the sense that they all refer to Jannah. And as we said before, often what the Salaf would do in their Tafsir is that they would give Tafsir by way of example. And so what they're actually doing is not just saying that it's restricted to something, but they're giving you an example of what Adin is. Um, and so I, I don't think that there's necessarily a contradiction in this. However, the position that the majority have seemed to have chosen, at least after like the first few centuries of Muslims, the one that Imam al-Tabir certainly preferred, is that it refers to an eternal place of abode, a permanent residence, and that is no doubt Jannah to Adan, and within that then you have rivers, and you have the palaces, and you have the gardens, and you have everything else that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared within Jannah. So, uh, so, with that being the case of what we did last week, inshallah ta'ala, let us move on now on to our next surah, and that is the tafsir of Surah Al-Qadr. The tafsir of Surah Al-Qadr. And Surah Al-Qadr, um, as we know, is I think, uh, you know, from the surahs, I think it's one that very people are more familiar with, uh, especially from these surahs now as we go towards, uh, you know, towards the end of the Qisar Al-Mufassal, the Qisar Al-Mufassal being the short the shortest surahs of the Qur'an, beginning from Surah Al-Duha all the way to Surah Al-Nas, the ones that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would often recite, for example, in his Maghrib prayer, so in the shorter prayers, he would recite from those surahs, from Duha to Nas. We're going towards, we're getting towards the end of those surahs, and as these surahs go, get longer, uh, you know, they, uh, less and less people, I think, have memorized them. And I think sometimes we assume that a lot of people have memorized all of Juz Amma, a lot of Juz Amma and so on, but actually I think the reality is that a number of these surahs as we come towards Al-Duha, people probably haven't memorized, especially like Surah Bayyina, Surah Al-Alaq. Some of these surahs aren't necessarily commonly and, and well-known or memorized by large swathes of people. But Surah Al-Qadr is maybe an exception to this because it's a surah that's, that's read very often, especially in Ramadan. You'll hear it being recited in the Witr prayer and in other prayers and so on. So it's possible that most more people are, are, are familiar with this and clearly because of its subject matter and the topic and theme that it refers to and revolves around, and that being the night of Laylatul Qadr, which clearly is a night that all of us uh, are very familiar with and strongly attached to. So as we usually do with the introduction of this surah, let us begin with uh, the names of this surah, the names by which this surah is referred to in the books of Tafsir and Hadith and so on. And the first of those names is the name that is most commonly used now, in our time, and the one that has kind of been settled upon in the different musahif and in the different, in the different editions that we have or the different prints rather that we have of the Qur'an and that is Surah Al-Qadr that it's often referred to and famously known as Surah Al-Qadr but this is a name that you will find even in the earliest part of the Muslim uh, the Muslim uh, if you like our tradition Imam Nasai rahimahullah ta'ala for example in his Sunan refers to this Surah as Surah Al-Qadr uh, Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala refers to this Surah as Surah Al-Qadr and clearly these are very early scholars Ibn Hazm the famous scholar refers to it as Surah Al-Qadr and then afterwards Al-Baghawi and Ibn Atiyah and Ibn Kathir amongst many to be honest amongst many uh, refer to this Surah as Surah Al-Qadr there are three names in total for this Surah that I found so that's the first one Surah Al-Qadr the second name that it is also referred to and known by is 
Surah Inna Anzalnahu, which is the first two words, obviously, of the Surah. Surah Inna Anzalnahu. And this is referred to uh, also from the early times. It's referred to in the tafsir of Abdul Razak Sanani. Abdul Razak Sanani, Rahimullah Ta'ala, for those of you that are not familiar with that name, is a famous scholar of Yemen. And he's considered to be from the contemporaries and also from the teachers of Imam Ahmad Rahimahullah Ta'ala. So we're talking about around the third century of Islam. And Abdul Razak was a famous scholar of Yemen and, and someone that many of the scholars of Hadith traveled to in order to seek knowledge from him and is perhaps uh, one of the people that, that established that, that strong tradition of Hadith and knowledge and so on in the area of Yemen. And Imam Ahmad Rahimahullah Ta'ala famously traveled from Baghdad all the way to Yemen to study with him and to learn Hadith from him and to hear his narrations because he was older than him and considered to be from his teachers Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Abdul Razak has a Rahimahullah uh, Ta'ala Sanani Sanani referring to Sana'a which is the capital of Yemen Abdul Razak Sanani has a tafsir that has uh, within recent times been been published and it's a tafsir which he gathers in which he gathers the statements and the narrations of the Salaf concerning the book of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and it's from the earliest tafsir that you will find because Abdul Razak predates someone like uh, Imam Al-Tabari Rahimahullah Ta'ala so Imam Al-Tabari who dies around 311, I think it was, or whatever it was around that time. Uh, Abdul Razak al-San'ani is probably before him by 50-odd years or 60, 70-odd years. So he's he's someone who's around the time of Imam Ahmad. He's a teacher of Imam Ahmad. And Imam Ahmad, Ahmad rahimahullah, dies around 256 Hijri. So Abdul Razak al-San'ani mentions this, and Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, who obviously, as we know, is also from those scholars of hadith, uh, just after the time of Imam Ahmad. Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala also as he refers to this in his sahih he refers to the surah surah inna anzalnahu Imam al-Hakim in his mustadraq another famous scholar of hadith and his famous collection of hadith the mustadraq he also refers to this surah surah inna anzalnahu so that is the second name by which the surah is known the third name that you will find for this surah is surah Laylatul Qadr so we have surah Al-Qadr which was the first name now we have surah Laylatul Qadr Laylatul Qadr obviously being the night of decree, Qadr being just the word decree. And this is a name that you will find also in a number of places, uh, books of hadith and tafsir from those scholars of hadith who mention this, Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala in his jami' and his famous collection of, of hadith. Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi refers to this surah, Surah Laylat Al-Qadr. And likewise, Ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah Ta'ala also refers to this uh, surah. He refers to it as Surah Al-Qadr and Surah Laylat Al-Qadr, right? which clearly shows that sometimes these names uh, the scholars would, would refer to the same surah by more than one name. They would refer to a surah by more than one name. So that's with regards to the surah of this name. With regards to its um, revelation or with regards to its place of revelation or its its time frame, whether it's a Makki or a Madani surah, this is a surah in which there is a difference of opinion. And there is a strong difference of opinion in it. Uh, somewhat similar to, therefore, the previous surah that we did, Surah Bayna. So some of the scholars said that it is a Makki Surah, a Makki Surah. This was reported as being the statement of Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma, Aisha radiyallahu anha, Abdullah ibn Zubair radiyallahu anhuma, from amongst others of that generation and the generation that comes afterwards from the early scholars. And it was a position that was chosen by some of the scholars with tafsir, most notably Al-Baghawi and Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala. They said that the surah is a Makki surah, meaning that it's a pre-Hijra uh, revelation, a pre-Hijra revelation from the Meccan period. 
Al-Mawardi in his tafsir, Imam Al-Mawardi has a famous tafsir, uh, he said that this is the position of the majority. So the majority of the scholars of tafsir said that it is a Makki surah. We then have the second position, which obviously therefore is that it is a Madani surah, a surah that was revealed post-Hijrah from the Medinan period. And this was the position from the early scholars of Al-Dahak, Al-Dahak rahimahullah ta'ala from the famous scholars of tafsir. And it's a position that was chosen by um, a number of uh, later scholars as well, most famously amongst them, or one of the most famous, more famous ones, Siddiq Hassan Khan, Rahimullah Ta'ala, the Indian scholar that we mentioned uh, over the last few weeks. What often some scholars do when they find a strong difference of opinion, like an Imam al-Shawkan and al-Qurtubi and others, which is why I don't always mention their names as having chosen one opinion or the other, is that they will just mention the difference of opinion that occurs. They will say, and it's said that this surah is a Makki surah, and so-and-so said that it is, but it's also mentioned that it's a Madani surah, and they don't really necessarily choose one position over another. And so when they don't really indicate which position they favor, which position they consider to be stronger, that tells us a couple of things. One of those things is that there is a, a strong difference of opinion. It's not just a, you know, the odd person or something which, which they can easily find a, a way to work around. It's something which they themselves struggle to decide between. That's the first thing. The second thing then is that they themselves haven't chosen a position and therefore it's difficult to attribute to them that they chose the position of it being a Makki Surah or a Madani Surah. However, as we said, some of the scholars did choose the position of it being Madani from the Misadiq Hassan Khan. Al-Imam Tha'labi in his tafsir, Tha'labi, he said that this is the position of the majority. So as we said, Al-Mawardi said that, uh, said that about the Makki position, that's the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. Al-Tha'labi said that this is the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir, which only therefore increases our confusion. I, I, for my limited uh, research, um, you know, I wasn't able to necessarily find a reasoning for the difference of opinion, but I think we can reasonably surmise why there may be a difference of opinion, so strong difference of opinion uh, among some of the scholars with tafsir anyway. Um, can anyone tell me, anyone want to share what they think? as to why there would be such a difference of opinion. What is the reason? What is the possible cause of this being something which there would be a difference of opinion? So Lange, I would have thought that it would have come after the ayat of fasting Ramadan were revealed into the second year of the hijrah. The importance of that month was highlighted there. So that's possible, right? So that's the reason why it could be a strong difference of opinion. Those scholars who said Madani because it's speaking about Ramadan, it's speaking about, you know, later to Qadr, it's speaking about like all of those issues. And so therefore, like, you know, it's something which, uh, which, um, you know, which, which therefore refers to, it could be a Madani Surah, that's possible, right? However, this is an event that happened at the beginning of the Mecca period. Uh, what are you referring to? What happened at the beginning of the Mecca period? The beginning of the revelation you're talking about, the actual revelation? Yeah, it's possible, but it doesn't mean that Allah Azza wa revealed this Surah at the beginning of the Mecca period just because it's referring to the beginning of the revelation of the Qur'an. Right, because you have the same in Surah Al-Dukhan, إِنَّا نزلناه في ليلة مباركة. You have the surah, same in Surah Baqarah, which is a Madani Surah, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ doesn't necessarily make it uh, the same. There's not necessarily correlation between those two points. But however, um, that's possible. And those scholars who chose it to be a Makki Surah, it is possible that they said so because of the verses of them being relatively short and because it is referring to uh, something which is which is referring to the early revelation of the Qur'an. So. Clearly those are two things, either it's referring to because it's about Ramadan, so therefore it comes later, or because it's referring to the revelation of the Qur'an and where it is in the Qur'an and its type of verses, which are relatively short and rhythmic in their ending and so on, has that Makki kind of structure to it. 
and Allah Azza wa knows best. So as I said, I couldn't find anyone other than the scholars that I mentioned to you. It seems to be from the, the research that I did in the books of Tafsir that the opinion of the majority, those who chose, right, rather than just mentioning the difference of opinion, who actually took a position and said that this is the position that we take, uh, it seems that the majority do kind of tend towards it being a Makki Surah. They do kind of tend towards it being a Makki Surah. Does anyone have uh, with them a Mus'haf? I don't have one uh, to hand, but I think it would be nice to see if we go to the end of the Mus'haf and you can see normally what they do is they tell you which Surahs are Makki and which Surahs are Madani. I wonder what they've chosen in the Mus'haf in Medina. They chose it Makki. They chose it to be Makki. So they've taken that position as well and they usually do that kind of research anyway. So, um, yeah, and, and obviously... Another thing which gives it strength being Makki is the fact that you have a number of companions that say that it is Makki. Aisha and Abdullah ibn Zubayr ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhum ajma'in. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Uh, with regards to this surah and its virtues, a common, um, you know, a common thing that you will find about this surah, and there are certain surahs like this in the Quran, that people attach to it many, many virtues. And sometimes the virtues that are attached to certain surahs are authentic, as we saw, for example, with Surah Ikhlas. And sometimes they are authentic, and we'll, we'll have a number of, of examples of that as we pro- progress, inshallah ta'ala, throughout the Qur'an. Um, but this is one of those surahs where you have people giving it a number of virtues, mentioning a number of narrations and a hadith of virtues concerning it. Um, however, in reality, there has been nothing authentically reported concerning the virtue of Surah Al-Qadr. Now there's a difference between Laylatul Qadr, which is the night, and its virtues are well known, and from its virtues are what Allah mentions in this surah, and the many then ahadith that we have concerning that particular night from the son of the Prophet That's a different issue. I'm talking about virtues of the surah. So for example, a virtue of the surah, what we mean by that is not by its subject matter, but what we mean is, like in Surah Ikhlas, it is equal to a third of the Qur'an. Like Surah Fatiha, whoever reads it, there is shifa in it, it is a type of ruqya for them. Whoever reads Surah Al-Kahf or the first verses of it or whatever the narrations are, there's different narrations and wordings, they will be saved from the trial of the Dajjal. Those are virtues of the Surah in its recitation, in its memorization and so on. What is the virtue of Surah Al-Qadr? There's nothing that has been authentically reported about reading Surah Al-Qadr that it gives you X benefit or that it gives you X reward or that it brings X virtue to you. But there are a number, a numerous hadith and narrations that are weak that are often mentioned concerning this surah. From them is what is mentioned that whoever reads this surah after wudu, right, which is, this is one of the more common ones, and I don't normally do this, I don't normally go through weak narrations and so on, but there are certain surahs where I think it is wise and, and pertinent to do so. For example, in surah Yasin, to look at what is authentic and not authentic, surah Kahf, what is authentic and not authentic and so on, because those are surahs that are common and people will 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 often use those surahs to read at certain times and do certain things with. And so Surah Al-Qadr, in, in, in my experience, is one of those surahs and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. And maybe this differs from community to community or culture to culture. Sometimes these things happen to do. In Surah Al-Qadr, uh, there's the narration and it is a weak narration. Whoever reads this surah after wudu, so after completing wudu, inna anzalnahu fi al-qadr, they will be from in the company of the Siddiqeen, the truthful, the Siddiqeen, the truthful. And whoever reads it twice will be in the position or in the station of the shuhada, the martyrs. And whoever will read it three times will be in the position of the anbiya, 
the Prophet. So really once you're with the Siddiqeen, read it twice you're with the Shuhada, the martyrs, read it three times you're with the Anbiya, the Prophets. Al-Daylami, Shaykh al-Bani, Ibn Hajar, many of the scholars, they said that this hadith is weak. Uh, and Ibn, Ibn, Ibn Shaykh al-Bani said, reading this surah after wudu has no basis in the sunnah. But also just by looking at that wording of the hadith, so whoever reads it once is with the Siddiqeen, reads it twice, you're with the martyrs, read it three times, you're with the prophets. Just from reading that hadith, how would you know? Without knowing its chain of narration or what these scholars said about its authenticity or lack thereof, just by reading that wording or hearing it, what indication would you get that there is some weakness in it, that it doesn't seem to make sense, there seems, something seems to be amiss. And often, as Ibn Qayyim and others mention, especially with hadith that are very weak, so you have a hadith which are slightly weak, you know, there could be a difference of opinion. But um, something that's very weak, often just by hearing its wording, you can often tell that there's something amiss, something doesn't make sense. So language, it can't be that easy, the reward is disproportionate, or not necessarily so. There are a number of hadith that tell you that, the, that, that if you do just something very small, you get a great deal of reward. There's many hadith that refer to that. Very good, Samira. That's what I was looking for, the ordering. Siddiq, then Shuhada, then Anbiya. Because actually what we know is that the ordering is what? Who comes first? It is the Shuhada, then the Siddiqeen, then the Anbiya. Because that is how Allah Azza wa orders them in the Quran. فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّيقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَى So the Anbiya after them or below them comes the Siddiqeen. And then you have the Shuhada. So this hadith doesn't follow that general principle that we find within the Qur'an. And so that's what Ibn Qayyim and other scholars, and it's a very nice point to remember that if you know that something is established and it's something which is which is quickly, like it is something firmly established in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and then you hear a narration that you don't know, maybe it's authentic, not authentic, and it just doesn't seem to be all right. You know, at the very least, the, the, it's worth checking. It doesn't always necessarily mean it's weak. You don't just give that judgment, obviously, just from hearing the wording, but something seems to be amiss, and so it needs further, uh, you know, further research. And so that's something which I think is, is, is good to know anyway. From um, uh, the other weak narrations that, that are normally associated with the recitation of this surah is the narration, whoever reads Surah Al-Qadr will have the reward of the one who, st- who fasts all of Ramadan who fasts all of Ramadan and who spends the night of, Sur- of Laylatul Qadr awake. right? And that one is probably more like uh, what uh, Sunanj was saying in terms of it being disproportionate because if it was that easy, then why frankly stay awake in Laylatul Qadr anyway if you get that same reward just from reading the surah. Another narration also, whoever reads Suratul Qadr when they enter their house and whoever does it when they leave their house, then they get a great deal of reward. Uh, another one is uh, whoever memorizes Surah Al-Qadr, it's as if they've memorized all of knowledge. Whoever memorizes Surah Al-Qadr, it's as if they've memorized all of knowledge. And another one is whoever, uh, which whoever visits the grave of a believer and they read Surah Al-Qadr seven times, Allah Azza wa Jal will forgive them and will forgive the one who is deceased in their grave. Right? And these are in narrations that I mentioned because often people will do them right? and they will practice them. But these are all weak and so as in the scholars said, there is nothing authentically reported concerning the virtues of this surah, the virtues of reading or memorizing this surah at any particular time or in any particular position, nothing authentically reported concerning that. So that's something which I just wanted to mention because I think it is something which is pertinent to this surah in particular. There are five verses in this surah. So Surah Al-Qadr consists of five verses. So let us begin. <laughs> 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Inna anzalnahu fi laylatil qadr We sent it down on the night of glory right, And one of the things which I wanted to do uh, And I forgot to do so just bear with me one second Is I wanted to look at the different translations that we have For the word qadr and how people have translated this So let me see what I can find here Oh, they seem to have changed uh, Quran.com for some reason. Anyway, so uh, the translation that I had for you was Abdul Halim's, which was the night of uh, the he calls it the night of glory, right? We sent it down on the night of glory. Mufti Taqi Uthmani says we have sent it down the Quran in the night of Qadr. He just says the night of Qadr. Muhsin Khan, verily we have sent it this Quran down in the night of Al-Qadr and then in brackets decree. Sahih International, indeed we sent it down during the night of decree. So, um, and that is something which we will come on to, the meaning of Qadr here. What is Qadr referring to? Is it referring to Allah's decree and his predestiny or is it referring to Qadr as in glory, honor uh, and that type of meaning? And that's something which we will come on to inshallah ta'ala shortly. Okay. So Allah Azza wa says, we sent it down on the night of glory. We sent it. Inna anzalnahu. And Allah Azza wa doesn't name what it is. But he says, we sent it. And what is that referring to? He, Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah ta'ala said that it refers to the dhamir or the, the, the ha in anzalnahu. The it refers to the Quran. And Imam al-Shaykh Shanqiti, Muhammad Al-Amin, or rather his student in his tafsir, he says, and there is no doubt that it refers to the Qur'an. Right? And one of the reasons why they say this, and, and this is the opinion of, of the scholars until it said that Al-Lusi in his tafsir said there is a jma, consensus amongst the scholars of tafsir, that the, the it in this verse is the Qur'an. That's what's being referred to. Right? And one of the reasons why it is being referred to that, uh, he calls it, he calls it ijma, but there is some uh, difference of opinion, to be honest. And uh, the other opinion that you will find mentioned in, uh, even though it is a, a minority opinion, is that it's referring to Jibril. Indeed, we sent it, meaning him, Jibril. It, uh, or the, the ha can be it, or it can, it can refer to he, as we know, in Arabic. But the, the, the ha here is referring to uh, Jibril. That's the other opinion. So it's Jibril that we send down on Eid al-Qadr. That's the other opinion. And the reason why Sheikh Shaqiti and Al-Lusi and the majority of the scholars say that's not the case is because Allah Azza wa would then mention further on the descent of Jibreel السلام, and he says that the angels and the ruh which as we will come on to see the majority of the scholars said is referring to Jibreel السلام, they descend on this night. So Allah Azza wa mentions his descent in a, in a coming verse, in verse number 4. So therefore... Uh, he says that that's not, that's not the case here, that it's referring to Jibreel السلام, but rather it's referring to the Qur'an. And one of the things, why, why then is the Dhamir so obvious? Some of the scholars said, especially those who say that the, the order of the surahs of the Qur'an is fixed, and it's something which, is, which was set by the Prophet وسلم, or by Jibreel السلام, as it was read to him. They said because the surah before it speaks about the Qur'an, Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, the surah after it, surah bayyina, also refers to the Qur'an, and so for, therefore the it is well known, because it is in the context of those surahs, and all of them are speaking to some degree, and in some context about the Qur'an, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, Shaykh Shanqiti, Muhammad Al-Amin, Al-Shawkani, and others, in fact, Al-Lusi, as we said, said that there is ijma'i, even though there is some difference of opinion, and 
sometimes you will find amongst some of the early scholars especially the word ijma' which means consensus doesn't necessarily mean in its usuli fiqhi term which basically means that there can be no difference of opinion some of the scholars even amongst the scholars of fiqh and usul will say that ijma' is the vast majority opinion even though they may be the odd person here or there that um, that uh, differs with that situation or with that particular opinion and Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said that it refers to the Qur'an that it refers to the Qur'an even though he says that the Qur'an itself is not mentioned by name here right? but he said that it's referring to the Qur'an إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ and Allah Azza wa Jal says شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ right? in Surah Al-Baqarah verse 185 and Allah Azza wa Jal in the beginning of Surah Al-Dukhan says inna anzalnahu fi laylatin mubaraka hamim wal kitab al mubin inna anzalnahu fi laylatin mubaraka all of these refer to the same thing there's no differences there so in surah baqarah allah says that the quran was revealed in the month of ramadan in surah al dukhan allah azza wa jal says that it was revealed on a blessed night but he doesn't name the night and in surah al qadr allah names the blessed night as surah al qadr and so that is tafsir of the quran with the quran that's what Imam Al-Qurtubi ta'ala is saying and Imam Sheikh Shanqiti does the same thing in his tafsir as well. He links between the three and says that there is no difference between them. Rather, they complement one another. So Allah tells us, therefore, that the Qur'an was revealed in Ramadan, that it was a blessed night, that blessed night being the night of Laylatul Qadr. And this will be used, by the way, as an evidence uh, for those uh, scholars who, as we will see when we come on to it, who, and that is the opinion of the majority, that Laylatul Qadr is in Ramadan, that what has been referred to as this Laylatul Qadr this Laylatul Qadr that Allah mentions in the Qur'an is in Ramadan, right? as opposed to some of those scholars who said that it can occur outside of the month of Ramadan as well. Uh, Imam al-Sha'bi, rahimahullah ta'ala, so when Allah Azza wa says, inna anzalnahu fi Laylatul Qadr, right? so it's referring to the Qur'an. The second issue is, inna anzalnahu, we revealed the Qur'an. What does that mean, we revealed it? Does it mean that all of the Qur'an was revealed on this night? Or does it mean that we began its revelation? On this night, and Imam Shabi rahimahullah ta'ala said that it means that we began its revelation on the night of Qadr, meaning that when the Prophet وسلم, first received revelation and Jibreel السلام, came to him, it was during the night, number one, right, which in itself is an interesting point. It was night, and number two, it was on the night of Laylatul Qadr, even though you know at the time the Muslims are not fasting Ramadan. There's no Laylatul Qadr in the sense that we understand it. people are praying in the masjid and so on and, 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 and the way that we worship. But that night would have been the night of Laylatul Qadr. This is the position of Imam al-Sha'bi ta'ala and it's a position that was chosen by a number of scholars of tafsir. From them, Shaykh Abdul Rahman al-Sa'di ta'ala and his student Shaykh Ibn Uthaymeen rahmatullahi alayhima, both of them chose this position that it's referring to. And there's a number of scholars that, that chose this position. The other position is now actually what it means is that Jibreel السلام, it was revealed to the lowest heaven, from the Lawh al-Mahfuz to the lowest heaven all at once. Right, all at once. So all of the Quran is revealed. And then Jibreel السلام, brings it bit by bit, piece by piece, verses by verses to the Prophet وسلم, over the period of the 23 years of his prophethood. So it's a revelation that is being referred to in Qadr is referring to its descent to the lowest heaven from the Lawal Mahfud. Before that, Jibreel salam doesn't know what's in the Quran. He doesn't take it. He doesn't, he doesn't, it's something which Allah has kept for himself. But on that night, it is revealed, meaning it is caused to, because the word Nazara 
means also to descend. It is taken down to the lowest heaven and from there Jibreel will take it towards the Prophet over the period of 23 years. And this was the position of Ibn Abbas and he has a statement that is narrated from him that he says this. That he says that Allah caused the Quran, all of it to be taken from the local mahfuz to the Baytul Izza in the heaven of closest to the earth and then over 23 years it was revealed in pieces or bit by bit in stages to the Prophet and this was then the position that was favored by Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullahu ta'ala Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullahu ta'ala chose and favored this position therefore as well and Imam Al-Shawkani rahimahullahu ta'ala also favored this position from amongst the scholars as well Shah Shanqiti or his student Atiyah Salim in his, in his uh, completion of the, the tafsir of his, of his teacher Adwa al-Bayan, Sheikh Shaqiti's Adwa al-Bayan, he says, they differ as to what is being referred to in terms of the revelation in Laylatul, on this night of Laylatul Qadr. Is the role of the Qur'an or some of the Qur'an? He said the opinion of the majority is that it was the beginning of that surah that was revealed, meaning the beginning of revelation. So what is the beginning of the surah that is referring to? Suratul Alaq. Iqra' bismi rabbikal ladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq. اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم That's what's revealed. Only that much. That is the position that he says and he says and that is the famous position and statement of Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما And he says and the other position is that all of it was revealed. Right? All of it, all, all of it was revealed. That, sorry, that's not the position of Ibn Abbas. The position of Ibn Abbas as we said is that all of it was revealed down to the heavens and then it came piece by piece or stage by stage, it was revealed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sheikh Atiyah Salim says, and this seems to be the position that our Sheikh chose, meaning Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shaqiti Ta'ala, seemed to veer towards the position of uh, of uh, Ibn Abbas and Imam Al-Tabari and others. And he said, because of the verse, Shahru Ramadan Al-Ladhi Unzila Fihil Qur'an, because Allah said that on the, in the month of Ramadan, we caused the Qur'an to be revealed. And he doesn't say some of it, because the Inna Anzalnahu, we revealed it. The it can is, is ambiguous, can refer to a verse, a surah, some verses, what of the Quran. All of those are options. But in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, we caused the Quran to be revealed. Right? We, we revealed the Quran in the month of Ramadan, and so therefore it's all of it. That's the position that Shaykh Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, chooses. And Al-Lusi again says that there is ijma' on this position, that this is the position that all of the scholars agreed upon, for as we saw, Al-Sha'bi and others disagreed with this position. So that claim of it being ijma' is not a correct claim. Sheikh Atiyah Salim though then goes on to mention the position, the third position. So we have two positions so far. Number one is the beginning of revelation on Laylatul Qadr, the first few verses, meaning it, it, it signals the beginning of the revelation of the Quran. The second opinion, as we mentioned, of Imam Al-Tabari ibn Abbas's statement is that it's referring to all of the Quran being revealed or lowered to the lowest heaven. And then from there, it being revealed over a 23 span to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. A 23 year span over to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The third position, the one that was favored by, by scholars who are considered the muhaqqiqun, who go through these different opinions and try to reconcile between them or choose between them if they cannot reconcile. This position was the position chosen by Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala and Imam Ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala in his Fathul Bari also uh, says this. And that is that they combine between the two. And they say in actuality, there's no difference between the two because if we say that the Quran was revealed to the lowest heaven and then from there it was revealed in stages, stage by stage, 
and Imam Shabi and those scholars who agree with him say that the first stage of that revelation then is those verses of Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. So in essence they're saying the same thing. There is no contradiction between the two. One is speaking about its descent from the Lawh al-Mahfud to the lowest heaven and the other one is speaking about its descent to the earth. So there's no reason why both of those cannot be correct. That inna anzalnahu fi al-qadr, it was lower to the lowest heaven. But at the same time, in terms of its the signal of the first revelation, one of the first verses that came to the Prophet ﷺ, when the first time the Quran was brought by Jibreel salam, that is the first verses of Surah Al-Alaq. And by doing that, therefore, we combine and reconcile between two opinions that apparently seem to be contradictory, but actually on further reflection, they are actually not contradictory, but they can both be reconciled. And this is a position chosen by, as we said, Ibn Hajar, Ibn Taymiyyah also favors this position and it is a good position because it reconciles between them and therefore it's not something which we have to necessarily say that there is a difference, that there is a contradiction, that there is something which can't be reconciled as we can see it is clearly reconcilable. So um, Al-Imam so Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah ibn Hajar, this position, and Atiyah Salim mentions this even though his own teacher chose, as we said, the position of ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum al-Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah, that position. But actually, therefore, there is no difference of opinion. That's that's why I think Atiyah Salim mentions uh, the statement of ibn Hajar and ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala. And as we've mentioned before, it's a very nice thing to do. Right? It's a very nice thing to be able to do when you can reconcile. And it takes scholarship it takes knowledge it is a tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he gives certain people that ability to have that depth and insight into the the positions of the scholars to realize that actually that there was no particular difference of opinion concerning them because almost by ijma right almost you know we all uh, it is mostly agreed uh, not necessarily ijma but it is agreed by the vast majority and it's mentioned in a number of ahadith and narrations that the first revelation to be given to the Prophet was Iqra. And so there is no difference of opinion over that issue. So the issue therefore isn't something which seems to be at first glance as contradictory as it may seem. Mujahid Taala says concerning the word Laylatul Qadr, he says it means Laylatul Hukm, the night of uh, of of uh, decree, al-hukm, or power, right? That's what it refers to. Shaykh Ibn Uthaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala, asked the question, and this is where we had with the, um, this is what we had with the translations here. In terms of the word Laylatul Qadr, or the name Laylatul Qadr, what does the word Qadr mean? Layla means night. And the word Qadr, what is it referring to here? Shaykh Ibn Uthaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir, he says that the first position amongst the scholars is the translation that was chosen by Professor Abdul Halim, and that is that it's referring to virtue and honor and glory. The word Qadr, right? And, and you can say that, that the Qadr of, of so-and-so, their position, their station, their honor, their, their glory is such and such, right? In Arabic, that is correct. So it means a sharaf, it means a fulanun dhu qadrin azim. That person has honor attached to them. They have a position of glory or a position of status. That's the first meaning. He said that this is a position that some of the scholars uh, chose, that this is what it's referring to. And this is a position that was chosen, for example, from amongst the early scholars, uh, some of those who chose this position, Imam al-Zuhri, rahimahullah ta'ala, Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri, the famous scholar amongst the tabi'een from the students of Anas ibn Malik, radiallahu anhu, amongst others. And Imam al-Zuhri chose this position that is referring to the night of honor. 
The reason why I'm mentioning this, and I think this is important, because I have come across people who say that this is an incorrect opinion, because sometimes when they read these translations, they say that it's incorrect, that there's only one position, that the meaning of Laylatul Qadr is night of decree, that it doesn't mean glory, it doesn't mean anything else, it just means decree and nothing else. And that's a you know uh, an ignorance on their part from the statements of the Salaf and the tafsir of the Salaf and the different opinions that are available amongst the early scholars of Islam. The second position is that it refers to the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the night that Allah azza wa sends down the decree for the following year. So every night, every year's decree is sent down on the night of Laylatul Qadr for the following year. Right? Allah azza wa says in Surah Al-Dukhan, Indeed, we revealed it on a blessed night. Inna kunna mundirin, And verily, we are warners. Yufraqu fiha. And on this night, every single command is made clear. right? And so this is the second position. And this is the position that was narrated as being the position of Ibn Abbas, amongst others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir. Shaykh al-Uthaymeen, though, in his own um, Tafsir, he reconciles between the two and he says that there's no, no reason as to why both meanings cannot be correct, that it is a night of decree and a night of glory. And no doubt it is a night of decree because Allah sends down the decree for the following year during that night, as is mentioned in numerous statements of Ibn Abbas. And this isn't something which Ibn Abbas would just make up, it's not something which he can take or assert unless he heard it from other companions or he heard it himself from the Prophet and even those other companions that he may have heard it from would have heard it from the Prophet because the companions when they speak about issues of the unseen, issues which they can make no ijtihad, no scholarly deduction in it, then it must be something which they took from the Prophet because the companions don't speak about those issues except with knowledge. Unless we know, for example, that it is a concept that is found in uh, in Judeo-Christian traditions, they may have taken it from the sources of Ahlul Kitab and so on. Those are well known because we know that those are available then, so therefore you can make that assessment that that's probably something that was taken from there, not necessarily from the Prophet But the concept of Laylatul Qadr doesn't exist amongst in, in Judeo-Christian tradition. And so therefore, it's not something which he would have made up and Allah knows best. But anyway, that's one position. There's no reason why it can't mean that, that's, that this night or the name Qadr refers to that and also that it refers to glory and honor because there is a night of glory and honor in terms of its virtues, in terms of the rewards that are there to offer. And Allah knows best um, I think we will stop here inshallah ta'ala because what I wanted to do before we move on to the next verse is actually speak about Laylatul Qadr and go into some detail concerning it because it's something which has come up now but that's like a long discussion as to what is being referred to in terms of Laylatul Qadr and the differences of opinion as to when it occurs and so on uh, and even though that is something which um, you know has slight, slightly a, a fiqhi kind of element to it but that's one of the benefits of doing tafsir we take many different sciences Hadith and Aqeedah and Tafsir and Fiqh and so on and so forth, all within our study. Um, so, if there's any questions, inshallah, let's take some questions now before we conclude for today. Then, inshallah, next week when we come, we will continue with that discussion. Um, yeah. Uh, the research question that I had for you this week uh, it's not a major one, um, but I would like someone to let me know in terms of. There's a, a difference of opinion, a great difference of opinion as to when Laylatul Qadr is amongst the scholars. 
exactly which night does Laylatul Qadr occur. I don't want the opinions because that's something which we'll go through next week ourselves anyway. What I would like is for someone to tell me how many, give me a number. So to give me a total. Uh, whether they count them themselves or whether they find other scholars mentioning how many there are. Uh, if someone can do that, I think that would be nice. But again, it's just something which, uh, which inshallah, I think you will benefit from. Um, but if it's, if, if it's, I don't want the actual narrations. I don't want the statement so-and-so said it's on the 27th and so-and-so said it's on this night of Sha'ban and so-and-so. That's not what I want. I want just a total, just a total in terms of uh, how many opinions there are just on this one issue. Okay, uh, let's see, questions here. Would the translation we sent it down be suitable more so than revealed here? It's possible, right? And you, you will find both, right? We sent it down, we revealed. And no doubt, like, it is being sent down, but it's also being revealed as well. And so I don't think there's necessarily, um, you know, there's necessarily a difference. Yes, Solange, how many possible dates? How many opinions are there as to when exactly the night of Laylatul Qadr is when it occurs? Sumaira, is it possible to mean both? I on this powerful night in X period, all of it was revealed, and then years later it was also that same night of Ramadan that Surah Al-Alaq was revealed. Uh, not quite clear as to what your question is. So the way that we're reconciling between the two opinions is that on the night of Laylatul Qadr, it was revealed to the lowest heaven, and on that night its its revelation also began. Right? And once it's down to the, to, to the lowest heaven, then obviously that revelation will continue over that period of the Prophethood of the Prophet of 23 years. But this is both on one night, right? So it's revealed to the lowest heaven, and then from there it starts as well, right? So it's not that it was revealed to the lowest heaven many years before, and then, uh, you know, then all of a sudden, like 30, 40, 50, 100 years later, now its revelation begins. I haven't come across that. Allah Azza wa knows best. Uh, Solange, Dr. Kamal Umar translates like this. Verily, we, we have made it descend in the night of Al-Qadr, the destiny, power, majesty, decree, assessment, measure. Yeah, so Qadr like has many uh, linguistic meanings, right? If that's what he's referring to, it has many linguistic meanings, right? But the two that you will find most commonly in the books of Tafsir are the two that I mentioned. Either that it's referring to some type of, of Sharaf and Qadr, or it's refer actually there are others that you will find as well that I didn't mention because they don't seem to have the same element of weight to them. Um, but it's, it's uh, and, and maybe, you, maybe we'll mention some of them more next week. Um, but the two that I mentioned are the ones that you will find that are most that are most common. Yeah, so he he gave so many maybe because that's what he's doing. So that's maybe that's why he's. Some people do that, right? So sometimes they they mention the various different positions that it could be. Personally, in my opinion, depending on the type of translation, if it's an academic translation where that's what they're trying to do, that's good. Um, but if, for example, um, if for example, it is something meant for the average reader. I think sometimes that can be more confusing as well. Allah Azza wa knows best. Zaid, this is for next week. Jazakallah khair. So uh, you can save that and then inshallah post it next week. Uh, but I would urge you to look again um, more than just those what you have mentioned. Hasiya, what, what are the surahs that were revealed directly to, to the Prophet on his journey to the heavens? Uh, like what? Give me an example. Give me an example and then inshallah we can see, but I'm not aware of what exactly it is that you're referring to. Okay, so if that's the case, Solange, can you please post that on to the Telegram group as well, please? And again, for those of you that haven't yet joined on our Telegram group, and by the way, guys, folks, also, uh, someone sent a message into the team last week saying 
that they're watching the YouTube live stream and I want to ask questions, people are posting in the comment section on the YouTube channel, uh, but I'm not picking them up and I'm not referring to them, I'm not calling them out, people have questions, I don't respond to them. That's because I'm using the portal and that's what you should be using as well. I know some of you prefer to use the YouTube stream, but it's very difficult for me to keep going back and forth. It's just like, uh, it's just going to be uh, cumbersome for me to do that and I'll forget to go back to the portal and so on. Our general basic rule and premise is that we use the portal. That's where we have our audio, that's where we have our notes, that's where we do our interaction, that's where we post everything. And so by all means, if you want to watch on the YouTube channel, you can watch, but I would constantly have the, the portal open so that you can refer to. And if you want to engage and you want to answer questions and you want to ask questions or you want to like comment, this is the place to do it. And so that's what I would recommend. So just to clear that up, because some people, uh, I think last week uh, were, were slightly upset that I wasn't picking up their comments. That's the reason why. So even if you want to do that, which I don't think you need to necessarily, I mean, I'm not the most techie person. I don't know why uh, someone would prefer the YouTube channel itself. But even if there is a reason for whatever that reason may be, then for the comments, at least I would constantly have the, the portal open so that you can refer back to it. And then if you do want to comment or question, then this is the place and the platform on which to do it. So Jazakumullah Khairan, Barakallahu Fikum, and inshallah ta'ala, I will uh, see you all next next week. So Jazakumullah Khairan, wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.